0: Well, good morning everyone. I pray that you can see me. I pray that you can hear me. I pray that the internet is working. My computer is working. The Wi-Fi is working. And all that stuff, the microphone, the camera, everything. If you can see me, if you can hear me, say so in the comments, please. Because that's the only place I can see things. Let's see. Trying to scroll up here. All right. Sometimes comments are a little bit slow in coming. Here we go. I see more comments. All right. We see you. Thank you, Darren. All right. So we are here. Good morning. This nice January morning. Not very warm outside, but it's drier and and, and better visibility than last Sunday. Last Sunday, it was quite foggy, and there was lots of snow on the ground. And ironically, that picture that I I show at the beginning, I took that last January. It was a snowy, foggy day, and I saw that, and I stopped and took a picture. And I could have taken that same picture again last Sunday because it was snowy and foggy. At the outside. And uh, I I couldn't remember when I took that picture, but when I went and looked at the file, I, I actually put the date in the file name of the picture that said January 2020. So we had a foggy, snowy Sunday in January, two years in a row now. Well, for those who don't know, I am Pastor Nelson, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. If you want to know more about us, check out our website at TowerViewKC.com, our Facebook page, Tower View Baptist Church. And as I said, we're in Kansas City, Missouri. Tower View with two words. Not to be confused with Tower View. That's all one word and is in the, somewhere in the uh, state of Illinois. Sure, they're fine people, just not us. And so, this is our Sunday school lesson. We're continuing through the book of Luke this morning. Uh, continuing through the book of Luke this morning. Yes. My mind. Yes. Get with it. Okay, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all the blessings that you give us, Lord. We thank you for. The blessings of salvation. The glory that you will provide for us someday in the future when we get to heaven. To outshine any of the agony and the pain that we face in this current world. You are the mighty God, Lord. We just pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well... As I said, good morning. We continue in through the book of Luke in our lesson plan this morning. And we are in chapter three. If you have your Sunday school lesson plan, we are in lesson number six. Um, Yep, lesson number six. And we are in Luke chapter three. So, so far in Luke's chapter one and two, we have seen the birth announcement by the angel Gabriel to the parents of John the Baptist, and to the parents of Jesus. We have seen what happened at their birth, after their birth, in Jesus when he was 12. And now they are grown. Time has passed. And one of the things that we sometimes complain about in Scripture is, you know, well, there's no dates in the Scripture. We don't know when anything happens. Actually, in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it tells us exactly, well, year anyways, when it happens. It says in Luke chapter 1, or in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod was tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetriarch of the region of ituria Trachontius, and Licinius, tetriarch of Abilene. During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so it said in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Well, that's a very exact date. We can go back through history and we know when Tiberius reigned. Um, Sometimes questions come up is, okay, exactly what... We may have some variability with a year or two, because depending on who is counting, exactly what year it is. Some people don't count the accession year of a king, that first partial year that they rule. Some people count it, some don't. Um, Tiberius was co-regent with the previous Caesar, Augustus, for a couple of years. Do you count those years when he was co-regent and? caesar augustus was still alive some people do some don't so sometimes there's a little bit of some iffiness there but this gives us a year and we know it's you know in the neighborhood um uh, you know of 25 a.d ish okay give or take a few years at the end of this um, and and go down to the last verse i'm going to read today in verse 23 it says and he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old. And so we know Jesus, is, when this is all happening, Jesus is about 30, which means John's 30. About 30. Um, although we don't get John's age here, but we know John was born about six months before Jesus was. Uh, well, uh, yeah, about six months before Jesus was. Um, and so we have a date, roughly. We know what time period this all happened in because of what Luke gives us. You know, scholars may argue for a year or two here or there, but we know when it happened. And it gives us the political layout of the of the land. You know, Tiberius Caesar. Well, he he's ruling the Roman land. Then you got Pontius Pilate, who was the governor the the of of Judah, the Roman governor. And then you had the local governors of of the two Herods, who were sons of Herod the Great, who were ruling different parts of Judea and Palestine. And then we have the religious leaders in verse 2, that were, uh, while they weren't officially political leaders, they did have lots of power and influence over the people. So, um, there, there was lots there. Um, all right. Well, I just going through, I see, I see lots of comments now this morning. Sometimes you're a little slow when coming through. So I see Karen and, and, and Judy and, and Don and Shirley. Uh, there we go. Yep. I said Darren already I'm not going to say his name again. <laughs> Even though I just said his name again. And so here we go. We, we, we have the lay of the land, of what is happening, where when it's happening in um, in Judah, in, in Palestine. Remember, this was written to a... Luke was writing to some Roman government official named Theophilus. We don't know where he served, what capacity, but we know he was in the government. So this would... He would understand this. He would say, oh, okay, I know all those people. Yes, I know that place. I know those people. All right, he knows what's going on. And then in verse 3, he went, and and then verse 2, actually, and it says that John, the son of Zechariah, went to the wilderness. This is the only place in Scripture it's called John, the son of Zechariah. The other Gospels don't even talk about Zechariah. Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke is the only one that talks about Zechariah, John's father. And so it says that John went into the wilderness. It doesn't say how old he was when he went into the wilderness. But we know, in, if you go back to chapter, the last verse of chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 80, it says, The child grew and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So John went out into the wilderness before he started preaching. He left home. Now, did he leave home because God drove him out there? Did he leave home because his parents died? Because they were old when they when they had him? It doesn't say. But John had been out in the wilderness. And then somewhere along that way, he starts preaching. Now, that seems like an odd place for a preacher to start preaching in the wilderness. If you want to build a church you want to plant a church, if you want to have followers, you go to where the people are. We don't send church planters out into the woods. We send them to the cities, the places where people live. Even if it's a small town, we still send people where people live. We don't go out to the wilderness to plant churches. But that's not why John was out there. He was out there to preach and to fulfill scripture. So he went out to the wilderness and when people came he preached. He it says in verse 3 he proclaiming the the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's why he was out there. And to fulfill scripture we see that in verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his path straight every valley will be filled every mountain and hill will be made low the crooked will become straight and the rough ways smooth and everyone will see the salvation of god today we would call that isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 through 5 but in that time period They just said the book of Isaiah because they didn't have chapter and verse numbers yet. Isaiah was on a long scroll. So you couldn't even give a page number or anything. Um, So you just had to kind of know it. And so those are words that we read like that when we went through the book of Isaiah a few months ago. Prophesying on the book of John, uh, Isaiah prophesying about John the Baptist. Obviously, Isaiah didn't know John, didn't know what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, when he was going to do it. But yet, at the leading of the Spirit of God, Isaiah wrote those words, and they were fulfilled. Nobody could predict who read those verses after Isaiah wrote them and before John came would say, yeah, there's going to be some dude that's going to go preach out in the wilderness. No, we didn't know that. We didn't know and they they had no way to predict a year or anything like that prophecy in scripture is there that after it's that after it happens we can go oh god's hand was in this it's not there to show our our intellect and say oh i know exactly how this is going to be fulfilled and who's going to do it and when no God's Scripture, he doesn't, that's not the purpose of God's Scripture. That's not the purpose of prophecy in Scripture. In that, whether it's Old Testament, talking about the Messiah, or, or reading the book of Revelation, talking about the future. That's not its purpose. It's not for us to be able to make charts and graphs and predict times and places and, and events and, and the names of every No. None of that matters. Not until it happens. And if anything I've learned from reading Scripture is however we think Scripture is going to play out when we read the prophecy, that's probably not how it's going to happen. Because all the people in Jesus' day knew exactly what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to come through, and he was going to kick some Roman butt. And he never did. In fact, the only butt he kicked were Jewish butt. When he went through the temple and whipped people and turned tables over. And he called the Pharisees, called them out on their hypocrisy. He called them broad of vipers, which is what John's going to call people. And so here's John out preaching, fulfilling Scripture. And we know from chapter 1 and 2 that John was also called by God. Even before his birth. And now he is fulfilling what God said he was, he was planning to do when he called, when Gabriel went to Zechariah in the temple. When Isaiah wrote the words that he wrote in the book of Isaiah. Chapter, so in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, it says this. He then, and that's John, he then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, "Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our fathers. For I tell you, God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Joe Olstein, he is not. This is not any... Preacher that preaches on TV or the radio. Why? Well, who wants to listen to that? Who wants to be called names? Who wants to be called snakes? Venomous snakes, no less. And being questioned for even being there. Why are you here? You need to repent. You evildoers. And then he starts answering their objections before they can even object. He says, because one of the one of their objections would be, "Well, we're we're children of Abraham. We don't need to repent." And he says, "No. God doesn't need your flesh and blood. He doesn't need your genetics. He can raise up followers from rocks." And that's where I'm at because I'm not Jewish, so I must be a rock that God raised up. And then he said that God's judgment is ready. That's what the whole verse 9, the axe is at the root of the tree, therefore, you know, produce you know, fruit in your repentance. Not just words. So here's John, he's doing all the preaching backwards. He's preaching in the wilderness where there are no people. He begins his sermon by calling his the people names. He doesn't it doesn't say that, you know, he's just calling them to repent and to change what they do. That's not how, you know, all the church growth preachers go. That's not seeker sensitive. That's not how you grow a huge ministry that's so big that you can buy a basketball arena to make it your church. That's not how any of that works. But that's not what John was interested in. John was a voice calling out in the wilderness. And you know what? Because he did it God's way and not man's way, people came to listen to him. We know from the Gospel of John that John the Baptist had disciples of his own. We know people came from the cities to listen to him. Whether they just were out traveling and they just happened to go by, Or they came out specifically to listen to him. I think probably both happened. Probably began with the travelers. They went back to the cities and said, hey, there's this weird dude out there that's like dressed in camel skins and wild hair. And he's preaching. And some of the people were baptized. And and people got interested. But it's not how you build a ministry. Not by today's standards. And he says, all of you need to repent. Even, so what, you're Jewish. You still need to repent. It doesn't matter what what your uh, ancestry is. It doesn't matter that your parent, you you know, you're the son of a pastor or a preacher. It doesn't matter that your parents are Christians. And they baptize you as an infant. Everyone needs to repent. God has no grandchildren is, is the phrase I've heard. Each generation must repent and follow God on their own. They can't what their parents and their grandparents did doesn't matter. You need to repent of your own sins for your own life. And so John is preaching this. Who the heck would listen to this? Well, the people did. Because it was from God. In verse 10, Luke chapter 3, verse 10. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. So people were like, okay, what do we do? What what is this fruit that we're supposed to do? How do we show that we've repented? Verse 11, he replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. The one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him. What should we do? He said, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. And so he gave them practical things that they need to do to change their lives to show that they have repented. Those who have two shirts or two tunics, depending on your translation, that's the shirt layer that's against the skin, and then they had a, they would have a, the long cloak that you see that was was, was over that that you we normally uh, think of of uh, what people wore in Bible times. But you remember, and this is a time and period when people many people were poor. They literally only had the clothes on their back. And so how how do you take care of that when how do you wash it? if you're only wearing one set of clothes? What do you do when there's a hole in it? You, you know, you mend it the best you can. You keep wearing it. So think about that. And whenever Scripture talks about a new clothes, that your clothes will be clean, that you will have a new robe or new clothes. Because most people only literally only had the clothes on their back. They didn't have a closet that they could walk into with, you know, You know, dozens and dozens of shirts or dresses or whatever to wear. So he's saying if you have more than one shirt, share it with somebody else. Obviously, some people did, but not every, most people didn't. And if you have food to spare, share it because most people did not have food to spare. If you were a laborer, you got you worked one day and they paid you for that one day's work because there was no guarantee that you would work the next day. And so when Jesus said in this the, the um, um when when in Jesus what we call the Lord's Prayer and it says give us this day our daily bread, they were people who pray that because they don't know what they're going to eat today when they wake up. They have no refrigerator to have food in it. There is no freezer. There is no pantry filled with shelves of canned food and boxed, dried foods. Most of us, if all the grocery stores closed right now, we wouldn't starve for many weeks. Yeah, we may run out of of milk and eggs, but we're not going to starve. There's plenty of food in our pantries to keep eating for a while. But people in this day didn't have that. Most people didn't have that. So if you had some food, share it. And then tax collectors. People hated tax collectors. Why? Because they worked for the Romans. And the other reason they hated them, because most of them were cheats. If you were a tax collector, you you got your job because you already had some wealth, because you had to bid for it. And you had to pay money up front just to be a tax collector. But why would they do that? Because the Romans say, "Okay, you have to collect taxes like tolls. Think of like a toll road. Every time somebody passes this spot, you know, each of them have to pay a dollar, whatever the number is. And then the Romans expected you to give them, let's say, ninety-five cents out of that dollar. But the Romans didn't care." As long as they got their 95 cents, they didn't care. So those guys would go, well, I'll, I'll charge them $2. And they got to pocket the extra dollar. And people weren't dumb. They knew that. But there was nothing they could do about it because the Romans didn't care. So he told the tax collectors, you need to change your way you live. Quit being so stinking greedy. You know, collect no more than you're authorized. Collect the tax that's authorized. Don't collect more. And so, But you know what? He didn't tell them to quit their job. He didn't tell them to quit working for the Romans. He just said, do your job honestly. And the same with the soldiers that came up. It was like, my first thought, is these Roman soldiers or Jewish soldiers? Because you wouldn't think that there was Jewish soldiers. But there probably were some Jewish soldiers. I mean, Herod the Tetrarch, he was half Jewish. He would have had soldiers to protect him. There would have been soldiers to protect the temple and the temple uh, treasuries. So there would have been some Jewish soldiers out there. And so what do we do? He says, don't cheat people. Well, how would a soldier cheat people? Well, soldier one they had weapons nobody else did so they could just act like bandits and hold a sword to your throat and say give me your money or they could just blackmail people extort people hey you you're a thief i'm going to arrest you no i'm not i'm not a thief you sure about that and then you know he holds out his hand you know you know for 20 bucks i'll i'll forget that you're a thief And so they would extort people that way. And he says, don't be satisfied with what your wages are. Well, that, you know, if you're private, <laughs> you may not be getting good wages, but still, whatever your wages are, be satisfied with them. Do these things apply to us today as repentance? Can we do our jobs honestly and justly without taking advantage of people? Are we satisfied with what we got? That's what, Jesus, that's what John was saying. That's the fruit of repentance. You share with those who don't have it. You treat people honestly and justly. And you be satisfied with what you have and don't be greedy for more. Do not covet. I think that's in one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? And people responded to this message, even though he called them bro to vipers. Now verse 15, Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. So, he dis- so whether the people asked out loud, or it says in their hearts, John knew through the Spirit of God that people were asking this question, wanting to know, is he the Messiah? Well, why would they think John was the Messiah? Well, the Jews did not have a prophet in 400 years. It had been 400 years since the last prophetic writings that we now call the Old Testament of Scripture. There have been no prophets of God. All they've had were Sunday school teachers. They had the scribes, the Levites, the priests, the Pharise- I mean, what became Pharisees. Pharisees is not a biblical title. It was, a, it was like a denominational title type of thing. You know, scribes and priests and, and Levites; those were the, the biblically uh, mandated positions. Those people were their teachers, but they were only teachers. They did not have, have the power and the authority that prophets had. And here came this man, preaching with power and authority that was from God. And so they knew there was something different about this man. And said, like, "Well, is this the Messiah? Where's this? Because they were." Like us, waiting for we were waiting for the end times. There, they were waiting for the Messiah. That was their end times. And he says, "No, he says I'm preaching, I'm baptizing with water, but the Messiah is going to come with the Holy Spirit and with fire." And he said, "He is going to be so much higher than me. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes." Imagine what position you would have to be in that you took a job that your job was to untie the shoes of somebody else. Whether, you know, it's, it's a rich entrepreneur, you know, the governor of your state, president of your country, past or present or future, that your job was to untie somebody's shoes. But you know what? Not all slaves are even worthy to untie somebody's shoes, because some of them has somebody has cleaned the barn, and the one that cleans the barn isn't worthy to be untied in the shoes. Because to be untied in the shoes, you got to be in the house. So John says, "I'm not even worthy to be in the same room as the Messiah, because I'm out in the barn cleaning up the manure." He says, "That's how high the Messiah is over me. The Messiah is going to come with fire." Is that good fire or bad fire? Is that the good fire of the refiner's fire that purifies metal that you need to forge iron and steel and, and to forge metals? The fire that you use to cook? Or is this a destructive fire of judgment? As you might guess, I'm going to say both. Scholars argue like, well, it has to be one or the other. And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be one or the other. One, we know, John just mentioned up in verse nine that you know judgment's coming, and those who don't who who don't repent are going to be thrown into the fire when their tree is chopped down. And now here he talks about the chaff from the wheat that's thrown into the fire because the chaff is not. Useful for eating, so you burn it. But he, was, he even mentioned something. He says, the fire that never goes out. In verse 17. So he mentions the eternity of the judgment fire. And so as we read John's words here, think about it, as you go through the Gospels, how many of these themes and words that Jesus uses too? Does he copy John? No, they're both led by the same God, the same Holy Spirit. And so John was preparing the people for these words that Jesus was going to speak. So John started using them. So when Jesus started speaking to him, the ones that listened to John said, Oh, that's not new. That's what John was saying. Because John was preparing the way for Jesus. While John introduced these terms, Jesus explained them better. He fulfilled them. He amplified them. And so they're preparing the way for John. Still, this is just John's preaching. In verse 18, Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. Now, it says he proclaimed good news to the people. We just read his thing, and it didn't sound like he was talking about too much good. He was talking about how evil they were and all the things they need to do to change. Guess what? That's part of the good news. Preaching the need for repentance. Preaching to say, hey, you ain't so good. No one is righteous, no, not one. You need to, you need to repent and turn to God. That's your only option. And that's part of the good news. In verse 19 and 20, we get like kind of the rest of the story of what happens with John. But when John rebuked Herod, the tetriarch, because of Herodias, his wife, his brother's wife, all the evil, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to everything else and locked him up in prison. John up in prison. So, yeah, John wasn't... By worldly standards, he got into politics. He preached against the leader of the day. Why? Well, Herod, who claimed to be a Jew, claimed to be a follower of God, married his brother's wife. She had divorced, she had got divorced, and, and by Jewish law, that, that's incest to marry your, your, your sister in law even though they were only half-brothers. By Jewish law, that's wrong. And so, John called him out on it, and apparently called him out on some other things. And so, he was arrested, and we know from the other Gospels what happened to John. He lost his head. Luke doesn't cover that here. But then in verse 21... We get to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Verse 21, When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And as he was praying, heaven's, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus came out to be baptized. And we see this in all the Gospels. And here it says that as he was, after he was baptized, he prayed. What he prayed, I don't know. What was his posture of prayer? Was he on his knees? Was he standing up? Did he have his hands folded? Did he have hands up? It doesn't say. But it says that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him. Like a dove. No, it wasn't literally a dove. But how do you describe the indescribable? Use a simile of some type. And so it came down and the way it came down, it kind of remember the, reminded them the way of dove flies. Silently, gracefully. It didn't come down like a hawk dive-bombing on its prey. That's not how it came down. It came down like a dove. And then we heard the voice of God. So there we have God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit coming down, descending on him, and God the Father speaking. To all who are present. So we have the Trinity there. And it says in verse 23, and he began his ministry. Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph. So in the earlier chapters, we you know it just it said Joseph and Mary, you know, the parents, the father and mother of Jesus. Practically speaking, that's what they were. They were adopted parents. They didn't have to say "adopted parents" every time. But now, as they get to the genealogy, you know everybody assumed that he was the son of Joseph. But we know, because we read the first part, that Jesus was the son of God. Joseph was his adopted father, his earthly father for uh, raising, you know, for being raised up purposes. And he was 30 years old, about 30 years old. So was he 29, 31? We don't know. But he was about 30 years old. And so we get the ministry of John the Baptist. We get the ministry, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. The rest of this chapter, of chapter 3, is a genealogy. It goes all the way back to Adam. We know the beginning of the book of Matthew has a genealogy. The names don't all match up. We don't know why. There's lots of speculation, but we just don't know why. But if you go back to an out through history, you can, you know, you can you can find, you know, different. You can take different branches to get to the the, the same root, and so because you know branches out quite a bit. So I don't get too worked up about that. But John the Baptist came, preaching the good news out in the wilderness. And the good news was that you need to repent. Our our nation doesn't, our world doesn't think that repentance is good news. He preached in the wilderness, which is, you know, quite idiotic. If you want people to listen to you, there's nobody out there to listen to you. But that was God's way. And guess what? God brought people to him because he did it God's way. Does that mean we need to go preach in the wilderness? No, probably not. Was was your birth announced by an angel to your parents? Probably not. Um, Was your birth prophesied, your life prophesied in Scripture? Mine wasn't, not in that extent. So no, but we just need to follow We need to preach the good news to those who are around us. Your family, your co-workers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your neighbors, whomever else you talk to, standing in line at the store. And that's what God calls us to do. John did what God called him to do. Preach the good news. And God brought people to him. And if you don't know who to preach to, ask God. God, send me people so I know without a doubt that I need to talk to them about God. And you have a co-worker come up to you and say, Hey, aren't you a Christian? What's up with all this blah 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 And there you go. But pray. Ask that question. Ask God to give you the strength and the courage at that day that you can um, talk to them when the time comes. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the, all you provide. Help us to be your servants in all that we do. Give us the boldness that we need to to proclaim your word to those around us. Whether it's loudly on a stage with a microphone or if it's quietly sitting in a chair in a room but just you and one other person around. Help us to be your servants in all that we do. We just pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening this morning. Um, I see some other people came on. Let's see. I'm trying to read comments, and my computer is moving slowly. Um, Let's see. Wow. Uh, My computer is working overtime right now, so I can't get through all the comments right now. But I thank you for watching and listening this morning. Once again, I'm Pastor Nelson Nisley, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. Check out our website at towerviewkc.com. Our Facebook page. Uh, If you need to get a hold of us, you can call our church. Call or text our church, 816-368-1330. And what are are your questions? What are your comments? What are your thoughts? Um, You go to our website, you can find our email addresses. Um, so how, however you need to get in touch with us, let us know that we can, how we can pray for you, how we can help you, uh, and such. So, uh, this morning, uh, we will have church at 1030 here at Tower View. We have drive-in church, uh, turn your radios to 90.7 FM and you can listen to the service. Uh, Pastor Darren will be preaching from inside this morning. We are going to, uh, the goal is to stream the sermon, the sermon only, uh, maybe the song right before the sermon uh, this morning. So the church starts at 1030. Darren will get up to preach from 1050-ish or so. Um, so be on standby for that if you can't make it to church this morning. Um, that will be on any, even if the stream fails, because internet, Facebook, computers, um, We pre-recorded Darren's sermon, so even if the stream fails, we will get his sermon up online. Maybe a little bit later, but it will be up online. So I, I pray that God's Holy Spirit will touch you today, touch you for salvation, touch you for repentance, touch you for strength for today, whatever that entails for you. So thank you for watching. And I thank you for listening. God bless and have a blessed day.